we are learning and starting to believe that the only way to see is through our eyes. But there's more. There's astral projection. There's lucid dreaming. There's altered states of consciousness. There's tapping into the beyond. There's the samadhi experience. There's waking up. And that perceptual diversity is what we now need to go back into and start exploring. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. All right, welcome to a special episode of the Mind Valley podcast. Why is this a special episode? Because this is a reverse podcast. For those of you who've been following me for a while, A reverse podcast is when I appear on another person's podcast, typically a big name, a big podcast, and someone interviews me. And for those of you who've been listening to me, you often hear me as the interviewer. Now you get to hear me share my thoughts with someone else interviewing me. And that person today is Danica Patrick. If you haven't heard of Danica Patrick, she is the former American professional racing driver. She was the most successful woman in the history of American open wheel racing. She won the 2008 Indy Japan. It was the only win by a woman in an IndyCar series race. So Danica runs an incredible podcast, the Danica Patrick Podcast, and she had me on as a guest. We're going to discuss some really intriguing ideas here. We're going to talk about Elon Musk's simulation hypothesis. Are we living in a simulation? We're going to talk about the concept of omnipresent consciousness, the importance of intuition. We're going to talk about why some people get turned off by spirituality and Ken Wilber's trans and post-rational frameworks for understanding what spirituality is really bunk and what's real. We're going to talk about neurotraining breath work, plant medicine. We'll talk about Mind Valley's challenge to Harvard that by 2025, we'll be able to create better education than Harvard University at 1100 the course. And then it's going to get kind of weird. Danica Patrick introduced my interview as listening to a really interesting Black Mirror episode. And that's because I'm going to share with you, true Danica, some of the projects I'm working on involving AI and human matching, involving helping create technologies that can predict who in your city you are likely to fall in love with. Now, this does sound like Black Mirror and you'll see why, but there is a beautiful human element to it. More on that later. We'll also be talking about the idea of unifying planet Earth into an Earth Federation, like what you see in Star Trek, and what the future will look like post-coronavirus. So if you're interested in all of these topics, or even one of these topics, Stay tuned for this episode. Today on the show is a gentleman by the name of Vishen Lakiani. He is all about consciousness engineering, which you'll hear about. He has a learning platform called Mind Valley, which is rooted in forgiveness. He's bet Harvard University that he can create a better system online for college engineering. He started a workout program called 10X. He's got a new book coming out called The Six Phase Meditation. This guy's busy. He also has a festival called A-Fest that I've, <laughs> you'll see here at the beginning, I asked to be invited to, which is all about going to a beautiful location and learning about really fascinating topics about existence and technology and all kinds of things. And man, I'm going to say, look, we get into it. We don't necessarily agree on everything, 
But I think that the most healthy thing that we can do is listen to each other and have healthy conversations and be open-minded to what a new thought looks like and what old thoughts look like and what systems need to go and what new ones need to come. You're going to hear some crazy stuff. You know, look, the human experience is pretty interesting. So is this interview. I'm really wondering how I can get invited to A-Fest. Danica, <laughs> you come on. All you got to do is let me know. <laughs> Going Soon. to some exotic location and learning about consciousness and manifesting and all kinds of superhuman tricks. I'm like, yeah, that's very much up my alley. You would love A-Fest. It's like your kind of people. Where are you right now? I'm in Arizona. I live in Scottsdale. Nice. Yeah. You're somewhere You're totally very crazy. far away. I'm in Estonia. I live here now. Wow. Why? It's south of Finland. Yeah. It's about minus 10 outside. My apartment is like a log cabin, but I love it. I love being here. It's this beautiful medieval city. Walking outside is like being in Disneyland. This is a thousand year old medieval city, 400,000 people. And it's one of the most beautiful little spots on the planet. Hmm. What made you choose Estonia? I was married to an Estonian for a while. And so I have two little Estonian children and we wanted them to grow up in Europe where they could learn their mother tongue. And so they go to school here. Ah, huh. How old are they? Seven and 13. Oh man, what are they into? Well, right now, virtual reality computer games, Star Wars, and the Marvel superhero universe. They're like ordinary American kids anywhere. Mm, so that's really cool. I think it's so fascinating with kids. They all have such their own individual personalities and they come through at such a young age. You know, you can tell if kids are artistic or if they're athletic or, you know, interested in technology. So it's imaginable, I guess, that they'd be playing, dealing with a little bit of technology because I feel like diving in and learning more about you and you have so much going on, but a lot of it has to do with looking at yourself like a computer. Bingo, you hit the nail right in the head. In my first book, I wrote about a concept called consciousness engineering. And it's the idea that we can approach ourselves the way one programs a computer. Now my background is electrical engineering and computer science. I graduated from the University of Michigan, same university as Larry Page, lots of great engineering alumni. But at a certain point, I got fed up of Silicon Valley. It was just miserable. I was in Silicon Valley when the dot-com bubble burst and I lost everything. I lost the funding for my startup. I had no insurance and I wrecked my car. And in the end, I basically couldn't afford rent. I was sleeping on a couch, trying mm. to figure things out, sending my resume out to anyone who would accept me on Craigslist. Now, finally, I found a job in technology sales to lawyers. So I had to pick up the phone every day and interrupt a Texan lawyer and pitch him on our software. If you know anything about lawyers and Texan lawyers, they hate being interrupted in the middle of a busy day by some freaking telemarketer with, back then I had a more Malaysian accent. So I would hear more fuck off kids than I ever expected. And I guess one day after the 13th lawyer told me to F off, I fell into a depression and I started questioning the meaning of life. So I got on Google and I started searching for hope and I found, I can't remember what I put in Google. Maybe it was like, help me not make my life suck so bad. Google had just come out. We didn't really know what it was capable of, but I discovered something called the Silva method. Now the Silva method turns out 
is a meditation program that started in Laredo, Texas, by a Texas Mexican immigrant by the name of Jose Silva. It became massively popular. Jose Silva sold something like 12 million books. It was one of America's first personal growth protocol. Jose Silva had died in 1999, and this was 2002. But the ideas gripped me. I took a seminar on the Silva method, and it transformed my life. Now, the interesting thing was, this was a form of meditation that was unlike meditation from the East. I grew up in an Indian family. I was used to Eastern-style meditation. Silva method, uh uh-uh. It was meditation to pursue your goals. You did not clear your mind. Rather, you grappled with whatever thought, whatever vision, whatever passion, whatever goal you wanted to reach with intensity, and you applied your mind to get there. But at the same time, there was a peacefulness about it. You learn how to listen to your still inner voice. You learn how to tap into your intuition. And all the while, I'm thinking, what the fuck? This is Tex-Mex meditation. I was expecting the Taco Bell of meditation. It was more like Chipotle. It was just absolutely delicious. (laughs) And so I go back. And literally, it was started by Jose Silva, who lived between Novo Laredo and Laredo on a border town. So I go back to San Francisco with my sales job. And in one week, I double my sales. One month later, I double it again. One month later, I double it again. In four months, I'm promoted three times. They make me vice president of sales. And at 26 years old, I'm sent to New York to lead the company's New York office. And that is how my passion for the human mind, because I learned none of that in school. But with Silva, I learned intuition. I learned creative visualization. I learned how to set and pursue goals with this level of mental faculty that almost seemed as if reality would bend in your favor. Mm. And that's how I started my work and how I started Mind Valley. Which is why I'm asking you about this first, because in my opinion, if you can't accept that you can work with neuroplasticity and reprogram yourself, then telling yourself you're enough or setting goals, like it doesn't matter. You have to really like get into the belief process and you have to start understanding the power of the mind. I get super into this aspect because I'm all about manifesting. I'm all about the nature of reality, which includes what are we really? So when I hear all this stuff, I'm actually like, maybe this is like jumping too far, but like, what are we, if we're able to reprogram like that, are we like Elon Musk says, are we just a simulation? Do you have an opinion on that or a feeling or are we actually human? So I remember in 2017, I was on the board of the XPRIZE Foundation. That's the foundation that Elon Musk just donated $100 million to for the carbon capture XPRIZE. I was on the board for that foundation and Peter Diamandis, the founder, took us in a tour of all the top virtual reality and AI laboratories in California. And there was this one particular moment where they assembled six experts in AI and virtual reality. So this was 2017. These six experts were on stage and Diamandis asked them, given where you see AI is going and how powerful and amazing AI is, given the sheer number of planets that we now know exist in the universe and how massive the universe is, do you think we are living in a simulation created by an alien species? And how many of those six do you think agreed with the simulation? One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders 
in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. Relation hypothesis. I think all of them. Five out of six. And these were America's top AI and VR specialists. They knew how powerful VR was about to become. They knew how powerful AI is about to become just in our lifetime, in our lifetime. They also know that given what we know about the universe, a species like ours may be around for another million years, two million maybe. Where are we going to be then? Right. I mean, look what happens in 10 years. Look what happens in a hundred years. What's going to happen in a million? I mean, like I interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson and the question that plagued him the most is that he won't know the right question to even ask. Right. And so it is highly probable that we are living in some sort of simulation. And if so, I want to figure out how to hack it. Right. Well, even if we are in a simulation, do you believe that there is an omnipresent consciousness that we all are embodying if we're in yes. simulation. Yes. There is enough evidence that shows that our brains are able to source information from outside physical matter. Mm. For example, Newark College of Engineering did a study. It was by Professor John Mihalaski. He wrote a book on it called Executive ESP. And he wanted to test a really simple hypothesis. Okay, everyone has seen Ghostbusters, right? So there's this scene right at the start of Ghostbusters, where Bill Murray is holding up these cards. He's doing a study in a basement of a university. He's holding up these cards and the woman on the opposite end has to guess the picture on the card. Now, of course, being Bill Murray, he's taking it as a joke. He's trying to hit on the woman, but these are called Xena cards. And studies like in Duke University, in Newark College of Engineering, they use Xena cards to test intuition. So Mihalaski tested this on CEOs and he found that there was a direct correlation. CEOs who were guessing above chance. There are five cards. Chance would be 20%. Some CEOs were guessing 25, 28% right. If they were guessing above chance, it correlated with those CEOs also being better CEOs in terms of profitability increase in the company. But he also found another curious phenomenon. There were CEOs who were guessing against chance. That means odds say they should be wrong 80% of the time, but they were wrong 90% of the time. And it was as if they were self-sabotaging themselves. 
And it turned out these CEOs, they were having the most horrible profit growth in their company. So it turns out that this study, and the book is called Executive ESP, suggests that we can actually tap into something to make better decisions to move us forward, but we can also do the opposite. We can second guess ourselves and make bad decisions, and it reflects in how we are performing at work. Which is what happened to you after you did that meditation class is that you started tapping into your natural intuition. Right. I would know which lawyer to call that would have a higher probability of me closing the lawyer. Now, here's how it worked. Today, there's a huge amount of research in altered states of consciousness. We know there's the alpha state, there's the theta state, there's the delta state. Silva does a programming technique to teach you how to instantly slow down your brain waves and go into what is called an alpha state of consciousness. Now, you can train yourself to do that. Now, in the Silva method, he uses hypnotic programming and meditation to induce it in you so that whenever you join your three fingers together like this, instantly you slow down your brain waves. Now, it doesn't work for you, but it works for me. If I was hooked up to an EEG machine, an electroencephalograph, if I did this, my brainwave states would slow down. It's a trigger. It's like when a hypnotist says, when I snap my fingers, you will quack like a duck, right? It's a trigger, but it stays with you. Now, when you go into the alpha level of mind, you're able to tap into intuition. Intuition is magnified. So what I learned now back then, the way we sold to lawyers in Texas is we would go to the San Francisco Public Library, check out the yellow pages. I'd be assigned a territory like San Antonio, and I'd have to call every lawyer from A to Z, put an X if he said no, put an F if he told me to fuck off, you know, whatever. Now, what I learned is that I could join my fingers together like this, go into this meditative stance, not even look at the yellow pages, just run my finger down and feel an impulse. And at a certain point, I'd feel this impulse. It felt like a burst of joy or something like, mm-hmm, like, like an aha. And I would open my eyes, see where my finger was and call that lawyer. And overnight, I doubled my sales overnight. Now, if you are in sales and you're a professional, you track everything. You know your closing rate. You know the number of assistants you have to call. You know the number of calls that last beyond 20 minutes, that number of people who ask to hand you a brochure. I had all of that data. My performance doubled overnight. In one week, I double my sales using that technique. My frustration is, why aren't most people talking about intuition? So that's how I got interested in this entire field. I agree. I don't know where along the way, like, do you feel that we used to be more in tune with our intuition? And like, I look back at even like biblical stories or religious stories and they're like, and then the voice of God, and then it came to me in a dream. And then there was an angel. And I'm like, why can't we just replace that with consciousness and like higher self? We absolutely can. I quote a lot of studies and a lot of science because I know that I'm walking a fine line here and I respect your audience. I love your line, by the way. Thank you. I want to share the science. So there's a paper called Perceptual Diversity. And it says, and it was published in 1973 by a scientist called Bourguignon. Now, what Bourguignon found is that 90% of all the indigenous cultures in the world in 1973 had some form of practice that involved altered states, going into alpha, going into theta. The Chinese had Kung Fu. The Japanese had art like Aikido, Buddhist meditation. The Hindus had Kriya practices. Christian monks had their practices. Muslim Sufis had their practices. But as the world progressed, a lot of these were sidelined. 
in favor of the rational mind. Now, the great American philosopher Ken Wilber talks about how the age of rationality caused people to look at religion and go, oh, that is bullshit. But then because of how, and they had a right to do that because religion did contain a lot of BS, but the rational mind when it moved beyond religion, started also labeling what is called transrational spirituality BS as well. So there are two types of spirituality. There's pre-rational, which is often associated with religion, the burning bush. You are born a sinner. Pray to Lord Ganesha and your dreams will come true. That's pre-rational spirituality. That's spirituality before the rational age. There might be some truth in it, but there's also a lot of dogma, a lot of BS, a lot of manipulation by religious entities. Then the rational age came with the Renaissance. The rational age came with the industrial age. And people rebelled against religion, especially in the United States. But now that rebellion also moved towards what is called transrational spirituality. Transrational spirituality is explorations of altered states through meditation. It's high ayahuasca and plant medicine. It's an acceptance of intuition. It's tantra energy during intimacy. So we need to dance a fine line. We need to embrace the age of rationality. And yes, question religion. There's so much crap in religion, but also be open to transrational spirituality. And that's what we're talking about here. So Bourguignon said that there is a loss of acceptance for altered states. She said that just like we are losing ethnic diversity, right? As everyone is exposed to American cable television, Mm. we are losing what is called perceptual diversity. We are learning and starting to believe that the only way to see is through our eyes. But there's more. There's astral projection. There's lucid dreaming. There's altered states of consciousness. There's tapping into the beyond. There's the samadhi experience. There's waking up. And that perceptual diversity is what we now need to go back into and start exploring. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of information in history using those modalities, especially like plant medicine being a very normal thing. And so, you know, to like thin the veil between what we have conditioned ourselves to believe is real and what's beyond that. Have you done any of that stuff? Oh my God, I have done everything. I created my own meditation practice called the Six Faith. It's actually used by a lot of American sports stars. It's been written about in the New York Times and Billboard magazine. It's free online. So just Google it. The Six Faith Meditation. That's going to be a book too, right? It's going to be my new book. Yeah. I just signed a deal with Penguin Random House. I'm also a big proponent of ayahuasca. I think everyone should experience it at least once. I try to do it every five years. And I use ayahuasca to get the most incredible business ideas. I believe any CEO who is not using plant medicine is at a competitive disadvantage today. Tell me a business idea that came from an ayahuasca ceremony. Right. So if you're part of Mind Valley, you know that there's this thing called Mind Valley membership, which is where all our transformation programs are open to you. And there's an app. And we've now started creating our own private social network. I did ayahuasca Jan last year. So Jan 2020. I cannot say where because I may or may not have done it in a place where it was legal. So let's avoid that question. But what happened when I did ayahuasca is I went into a seven-minute conversation with God knows what, and I got screen by screen by screen, the UX, the function, the specifics of the app to build, to foster community in my business. And so we went all out and we started building it and it's taking off like crazy. But what amazed me is how specific 
the nuances were. The pandemic hadn't hit yet. What I gained from ayahuasca is that I need to find and engineer a way to bring my students together outside real-world seminars. And this was two months before the pandemic hit. And now that app is a godsend. Yeah, thank God. Because all our real-world seminars are canceled. But it got weirder. When I was in this plant medicine thing and I saw the front screen of the app and, you know, many apps have a Facebook login. Yeah. So there was this thing on the front screen with an X over Facebook. And so I saw that vision, a whole UX of the app and the vision. And I asked this force, what does that mean? Why is there an X over Facebook? And it said, Facebook, you shouldn't be trusting Facebook with your user data. Do not work with Facebook. So I thought, okay, that's kind of crazy because Facebook is so dominant. Now look at what is happening next week with Apple's new iOS update, they are banning Facebook data gathering. I'm sure you read the news. Apple and Facebook has gone to war. Tim Cook has basically said that he will no longer support and he completely slammed Facebook. Facebook stock price has gone down because of Facebook's privacy violations, right? Exactly what my ayahuasca vision told me one year before. And so, yeah, in this app, we actually set a rule with my engineers. We set a philosophy called don't suck like Zuck. And it simply meant Adopt the most safe EU standard GDPR privacy policies and do not manipulate a user data or sell advertising. So the visions for Ayahuasca gave me step by step by step in a bizarre way, things I needed to do for my business. And this is why I say, if you're a CEO and you're not using plant medicine or other modalities to tap into altered states, you are at a competitive disadvantage. Now, there are four modalities you want to look at based on Daniel Goleman and his book, Altered Traits. We talked about the plant medicine. We talked about meditation. Mm -hmm. The other two are neuro training and breath work. Mm. Neuro training would be more of the consciousness engineering, right? No, consciousness engineering is just a way of looking at the world, right? It's a philosophy of life. Neuro training is where you strap your brain to advanced biofeedback machines and you train your brain to dip into other realities. So typically in neuro training, what they look at are two things. If you study the brainwaves of Zen Roshi monks, you find that there's a certain elegance to it. They have a left-right brain hemisphere coherence. That means the waves are balanced. Okay. And then they have really high alpha amplitude. Now you can train this. There are facilities popping up around the world that actually train people. Two that I've studied at is the BioCybernaut Institute in Canada and 40 Years of Zen by Dave Asprey in Seattle. It's expensive. It's 15,000, five days. I have no affiliation with either. And there are other facilities popping around the world. But what they say they do is that they train your brain to generate the same waves as monks who have spent years in meditation. Now, I have done it and I can vouch for it because I've noticed a massive difference in how I showed up in the world after five days in those facilities. Okay. Incredible. That's a little bit harder to access that of the four things. Probably the most difficult is finding somewhere where you can. Yeah. It's the most difficult and the most expensive, right? Like ayahuasca, you still got to travel. It may still take three or four days. Neuro training is 15 grand. It's expensive. Right. It'll get cheaper as years progress. And then breath work, which, I mean, you can literally get yourself high off of breath work. Exactly. Now, the the issue with breathwork is that breathwork brings up a lot of trauma. It brings up a lot of shit that you got to face and heal. But breathwork, it's sometimes harder in breathwork to actually source ideas. 
I might use breath work mm-hmm. to face myself, yeah. to work on my shadows. We all have shadows. We all have some BS belief or some dark aspect of our soul that we need to face. Breath work is great for that. In terms of sourcing ideas, I prefer plant medicine or meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel that in an aspect of some of the things I do and in like a somatic sort of healing way where I've felt for myself when I use breath, I'm dislodging stuck energy in my body to process it. And then my mind turns into a movie and I actually start to see something happening of a process trauma that's coming through, or I just start crying. Right. So absolutely. These are such foreign concepts for most people, but they're so accessible. And I mean, you can practice them literally in your living room. And the reason why I go into all this with you is because I feel like understanding reality helps you know how to use it. Exactly. Exactly. Understanding reality helps you know how to use it. I love that quote, Danica. That's why I seek truth is because in that truth is a direction of how I should live my life. And so when I understand that my mind, which this is a fascinating thing that so few people really have an understanding for, and I think it has to do from my understanding with your brainwave states, but you are programmed from something like the last trimester within the womb until the first six or seven years of your life. Is that correct? That's your subconscious program at a vast level. Yeah. Some people say all the way up to age nine. I don't think anybody knows the exact number, but Mm -hmm. for sure, there's a ton of subconscious programming, worldviews, beliefs that go into our mind as we are growing up. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with, from what I understand, the brainwaves. Your brainwaves are in theta, I believe, most of the time, which is sort of that slightly hypnotic state, which allows you to put things into the system, which is exactly why you meditate, why you do those other practices, because your brainwave states and allow programming. Yes. You can reprogram at the alpha level. That's what Jose Silva found in his research. Now, why is it that we can program children? It's because children have a meaning-making machine in their head. It is actually evolutionary hardwired in us to generate meaning. Human beings build and survive. We've built civilization based on stories. Stories allow us to navigate a highly complex world. Yuval Hariri, the famous Israeli professor who wrote the book Sapiens, has a beautiful quote. He said, every other animal is born fully formed, a perfect replica, a smaller but replica of the older animal, but not the human being. The human being is born like molten glass, And this is why we can shape a human being to be a warmonger or a pacifist, a Christian or a Buddhist. That's a beautiful thing about that quote. Human beings are formed like molten glass. And over the next nine years, we can shape that human being into anything we decide. And you can do it for good or you can do it for evil. Mm. And that's because of the meaning-making machine in our head and how we perceive meaning. And then once we see meaning, we generate meaning, we decide that that is real. Mm. Our beliefs become our reality. And we fail to see anything else outside what we believe to be true. I feel like I could get into a whole spiral about trauma, childhood, but basically the understanding is, is that they hold you back. So it's important to go through these modalities so that you can start to unlock 
the right. emotions, the patterns, the things that keep showing up in your life, you know, your issues, your patterns come knocking at the door and then it breaks it down and then it, you know, ravishes your house. And then finally it's got to burn it down. Right. I like that. And so it's so important to get through these things so that we can achieve something that we really want. And so forget that. There's so much more to ask you about than go on a rampage about that. But I think that then what comes into a practice that I found beautiful in learning more is means goals and ends goals. I think that for me, yes, reprogram your mind, learn new belief systems, but then understand why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because it's like if somebody has a goal to lose weight and then they do, well, then what? Or if somebody has a goal to make money, well, you're going to do it. And then what? And so how do you align yourself with a life that will have a never-ending purpose to keep you fulfilled? Right. So a means goal is a means to an end. An end goal is what really lights us up. Right. So end goals are what we should be pursuing, but our upbringing, our parents, our religion, our society, get us to chase means goal. A classic example in America. Do you know anyone who became a lawyer? Sure. Mm -hmm. I have so many friends from the University of Michigan who went into law school. Funny thing. A lot of them went into law school because they saw law as a glamorous profession. I remember Growing up in the 90s, there was Ali McBeal, there was LA Law, there were all of these hit television shows that glorified lawyers. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that if you're a lawyer in America, you have a 50% chance of suffering from depression. 50%. Why would anybody want to go into a career where there's a 50% chance of suffering from depression? Now, it's not just in the US. Lawyers in Australia, I just read in a study, also have a 50% chance. Now, the reason is programming. We are programmed to believe, in American society, it's programmed to believe that being a lawyer is glamorous. America has 5% of the world population, 70% of the world's lawyers, and half of them clinically depressed. Oh. Yet we keep churning out law graduates. Now, why? It's because of the end goal means goal crap. Now, I had a friend, I had several friends actually who became lawyers and almost all of them quit law at this point. They quit law and they became a coach and they quit law and they became a world traveler, a writer. But why did they go into law? It's because they were chasing a means goal, not an end goal. I remember I had one friend, he wanted to serve the world. He wanted to help people who were poor and he thought he's going to be this incredible international lawyer. He's going to like fight for indigenous groups. He's going to fight against the big corporations. His end goal was serve the poor. The means goal is where he got tripped up. He decided he had to work really hard, go in debt, graduate from law school. And he did. He graduated from Harvard with massive debt. He had to join a law firm, which he did in Washington, DC, that within three years, he went into a divorce because he was so busy he and his wife, they just didn't have time for each other. Mm. Long story short, he ended up quitting law, traveling around South America and discovering that he could do his end goal, serving the poor without that crazy law degree. He started several businesses. He helped support several poor people in South America. He volunteered for nonprofits. He figured out that you could get to the end goal without going through the societal programming that says, oh, you need to do well in high school, you need to apply to a good university. You need to do well on your LSAT. You need to take student debt and go to law school. You need to join a firm. You need to work 100-hour weeks till you become partner. Then boom, you've made it. 
these are all means goals. We are better served if we look at the end goal and then figure out how do we carve our own original path to the end goal. So you want to identify the end goals, and there are three types of end goals. The first one is experiences. So holding a newborn baby in your arm, that is an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. Serving the poor, incredible experience. Backpacking across the Himalayas, incredible experience. Waking up every day next to the man or woman you love. These are experiences you want to put down in your goal list. Next, you want to ask yourself to be that man or woman who has these experiences. How do I need to grow? You want to backpack across the Himalayas? Well, firstly, you probably want to exercise your legs. You probably want to have enough passive income so you can afford to take a year off. You probably want to be able to maybe speak a dialect that's useful there, like maybe Hindi or Nepali. How do you want to grow? And then the final question you ask yourself is, if I had these experiences, if I have grown to be this man or woman, how do I then give back to the world? The reason for that question is because while studies show that there's a difference between happiness and fulfillment, and happiness can come very easily. You can smoke a joint and be happy, but to be fulfilled, it comes through growth and giving. And that last question, how can I give back to the world, is where you really are engineering your life for fulfillment. So experiences, growth, contribution, EGC. And that is an exercise that I teach people, and it helps you go straight to your end goals. Now, once you have that, you are no longer a victim of the giant human photocopy machine. You are not just a photocopy of every other life out there. You've created your own beautiful work of art. You've created your own painting of what your life is to be, unique to you. While without paying attention to any of the BS from society, mm -hmm. there are rules and then there are rules. A rule, B-R-U-L-E-S, is a bullshit rule. A bullshit rule that media, society, politicians, culture, religion tells you you need to follow because apparently some dude thousands of years ago thought it was the way. Right. To be a truly original human being, you need to question the rules and you need to aim for end goals, not means goals. We are in such a time where I feel like systems and industries are being challenged and crumbled. And definitely the one I am the most passionate about is school. And I think it's a lot of bullshit. I think that it's a brule. Going to college is a brule. I didn't go to college. It's part of it, right? I mean, I left high school when I was 16 years old. I have a GED, which is called my good enough diploma. And I dismissed my intelligence for a long time because I never want to be judged for not knowing really simple things that maybe someone else learned in school. Like, I don't know when the Civil War was. Like, it's something I don't know. And also, do I give a shit? No. Does it help me any day or hurt me? It's nothing. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. So I get a little fired up when I think about school. I think about college, but I also think about the systems below it. I think about when you go to school, what age you're at, what you're actually being taught, the patterns that are being instilled into you as far as like following orders and sitting in the same spot and stop using your imagination. And there's a whole world of school that's very frustrating. But I definitely think that one of them that is a real problem that could shift and you are going to help shift that is college because it puts you in this terrible loop of you get done with school, you go to college, you go in debt or your family's going in debt, 
let's just put it to you to use as an example. And all of a sudden now you're put on this hamster wheel of, I get out of school. Now I have to just take the first job that comes because I got to pay my bills and I got to have somewhere to live and I got to eat. And then you don't have the opportunity to dream and take a chance and not earn an income because you're already in debt and you've got to pay bills. So now all of a sudden you stay in the sucky cycle of like, I'm not at a job I really want, but I have to do it and I can't take a chance. And most people aren't that brave. Most people are really feel very stuck. And I just think it's the biggest loop. I think it's like loops you into a really sucky life most of the time. I have to talk to you about that because to me, this is like a really cool initiative. Your challenge to Harvard is fantastic. So what I believe, my team and I, my team is around 400 people right now. What I believe we're going to be able to pull off is to deliver better advantages in life than a Harvard degree for one one hundredth the price. A Harvard degree today is 50 grand. So we have to deliver this for $500 a year. That's it. And that's what Valley is about. So we're building a platform and it's a powerful platform. On the surface, it looks like Netflix for high quality education. So you have all of these incredible teachers teaching you the things that truly matter from meditation to goals, to athletic performance, to speed reading, all of these things that elevate your career, increase your productivity, but the underlying layers where the magic is happening. We're using AI to not just train you and give you the stuff that's right for you, but we are providing a platform where the more you input into it, as you take down your notes, as you use the platform to build your goal list, so soon you can build your goals on the platform, the AI is able to learn about you and then not just give you the right content, it's education customized to who you want to be, but also introduce you to the right people. So we're building on the back end the world's most advanced human-to-human matching engine. We are getting so close to predicting who you are going to fall in love with, predicting who you're going to be close friends with in your city, predicting who you should start a company with. This is a Black Mirror episode right now. What? It is, but we are using it for good, not for evil. Yes, I agree. There is just like with everything, there's a light and a dark. There's a yin and yang to everything. Like how do we, just same with social media. Social media can be an absolutely destructive piece of information for you to make you feel like the worst human in the world and go down rabbit holes and distract you, or it can expand your mind. And the big purpose of social media, aka Facebook, they say, oh, we're about connecting the world. But no, they're not building a true system for connecting the world. They're building a system to suck your attention so they can sell you more shit you don't need. It's an advertising platform. We're doing the opposite. We're building true connection. You see, what my theory is that the best way for people to connect is based on shared learning, shared transformation. Think about it, right? Like, You've always heard this phrase, the best people to date are people who are constantly growing. It's always about learning. When you and a friend are learning together, you're exploring something new together, you tend to click because we have all of this data on what people are enjoying learning, what people's goals are, what their visions are. It's a feedback loop that allows us to then every day on Mindvalley, pretty soon, we're going to predict who you should connect with. Now, here's how we do it. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, this is released in about a year. So if you open up the Mind Valley app, it'll say, Danica, we found that there's this guy called Greg. He is two kilometers away from you. And we recommend that you guys get together for coffee. 80% chance you guys are going to hit it off. We don't say whether it's a potential date or a potential friend or a potential person that you should hire for your company. You decide that. But the algorithm can predict. Now it gets even better. When you and Greg meet up for coffee, you click a button on your phone and it gives both you and Greg 
questions to ask each other. It now becomes a game. So it says, Danica, ask Greg about his favorite movie. You have a common favorite actor. Danica, ask Greg about his vision for the next 10 years of his life. There's something he's going to say that you'll be able to help him with. That's, that's freaky. That's where this is going. It's not creepy. It's stunningly human. It's absolutely How? How is that stunningly human? Because we're connecting you based on you being human. Think about all the clutter around. Think about the sheer number of people that are lonely, that are craving close connection. And it's hard. Not only do we have this damn pandemic, but no one is real anymore. We're building because of social media. If we are able to cut through the clutter and identify that there's someone in your city that we know you're going to click with and we can bring you guys together, that's true human connection. Okay, so let's say, let's like extrapolate this out. So let's say this happens, which it's going to. So this happens and people believe in this product. People believe in this system. Now you have people believing in it, which is really, really, really powerful. Now you're the new control system. You can literally make someone like or not like somebody based on the fact that they believe the information. That is a slippery slope. That's very true. So here, what we bring in is human-assisted AI. So what this means is this. So firstly, when you come to the system, you set who you want to meet, okay? So you might say, I am looking to hire people into my company. Or you might say, you know, I have this business idea. I'm looking to find a potential co-founder. Or you might say, I want to meet the freaking love of my life. Okay, now, what happens then is human-assisted AI works like this. Think of it as an algorithm. 70% of your chance of your match is powered by AI. So let's say you want to meet a potential friend, no dating, no sex, just friendship, a fellow woman whom you think could be a really good sister, a really good friend. Okay. You put that in. We find someone for you. We find three people. What happens then is these three people are presented to human. We call them human cupids. So these human cupids, they log into the system and their job is to just use their intuition to predict a match. Remember intuition, that thing we were talking about? And these human cupids are AI? These human cupids are human? Real human beings, human volunteers doing this because they get to help. So it shows Danica, and then it says, these are three people uh, AI predicted Danica should connect with. It flashes, yes or no, yes, no, yes, no. So now the human cupids are listening to their intuition and they are bringing in intuition to help with the match. So it's not pure AI. Wow. See, that's the catch that I was going to ask about is consciousness and frequency. And so I don't know how much you believe in energy and frequency as well. I would imagine you do, but you have a resonance with people. You have resonance. You have, I mean, I believe in past life. I believe in all of that stuff. So there's a lot of factors that pull from the quantum in a consciousness way that can't be quantified by a robot. Ah, it can't be quantified by a robot, but it can with the right human-assisted AI matching system, right? This is you back in the beginning with your finger on the yellow pages going, Exactly, but it gets better, but it gets better. Mobile rings that measure heart resonance. Okay, so now we're going to really go into a Black Mirror episode. Everyone is going to have a simple ring or a pendant that they wear. It uses a simple device that you can manufacture in China for under 25 bucks that measures your heart resonance. 
studies from the HeartMath Institute show that when two people are truly connecting, their hearts beat in resonance. Now, here's where the magic happens. When you're having this coffee meeting with Greg or Shelly or whoever we paired you up with, both of you are wearing rings. <laughs> and without you guys even consciously being aware, we are learning if your hearts are in resonance. Oh, my God. And we can decide if we should continue introducing you to this type of match. So we learn the system feeds itself. Wow. That's so crazy. Do you believe including frequency? So like, I don't wear the earbuds. I don't wear the watch. I feel as though we have so much EMF interference, Wi-Fi and phones and everything like that. It's already happening, but like, why do I need to stack it up? Is this really a concern for the human body from a frequency standpoint? Well, it depends on how you're reading heart resonance, right? There's not really a frequency being emitted. Typically what you're doing is you're using a really sensitive type of device. Like think of it as a really sensitive camera that's reading the tiny differences in coloration of your skin and measuring and measuring your heartbeat. That's it. What do you think about being chipped? I think it's a wonderful idea. What? All of us are already part cyborg. Look, we think we are purely human. No, if we are staring at a screen all the while, we're already part cyborg. The next step is simply the screen being in a contact lens in our eye. Oh, this is Black Mirror. I mean, literally Black Mirror. It literally is an episode of Black Mirror where he records everything or everybody's recording everything that happens. I have an ICL lens in my eye. I used to be short-sighted, so I did LASIK. And then 20 years later, you know, my power got bad again. And I couldn't do LASIK a second time because I had thin corneas. So I did a surgery called ICL. The FDA hadn't approved it in the United States. So I did it in Malaysia. Now it's approved in the US, but it wasn't back when I did it. And I have a lens in my eye. It's like a contact lens that they inject into your eye and then it unfolds. It's in my left eye. And now I don't need glasses anymore. It's been 18 months. What's the difference between that and a lens that has a computer chip that projects in front of me? Either way, I'm not completely human anymore. Well, what are we? I believe we are going to evolve into a species that's part matter, part human, part AI. Elon Musk is already doing it with his brain implants, Neuralink. We're going to get there sooner or later. The question is, can we do it in a way that's safe and makes us more connected as a species? Or do we do it in a really douchey way where we're controlling human behavior, further stirring up the desire for mass consumerism. It's really about that. Now, the reason why I'm so passionate about this future is because there's one thing that became really evident to me. And that is, if you want to keep people happier, if you want to generate happiness, it's not about more stuff. According to a Harvard study by Ed Diener, there's only one thing that correlates with happiness. It's a 0.7 correlation. It's human connection, the strength of your human connection. Then there's the blue zone study. If you want to live longer, one thing, community. The more community you have, the longer you live. Then if you want to be more productive at work, one thing, being around people who light you up. Studies show that if you have a best friend at work, you are seven times more engaged in your job. If you're in a team where everyone is like supporting each other's positivity quotient, that's the number one hallmark of a high performance team. It all boils down to this connection. How can we create deep connection 
real connection between human beings. Our work improves. We no longer need to buy endless stuff to feel happy. Our health improves. We become a better species. But now, when you connect people across language barriers, across religions, across countries, you get another advantage. We create a species that can basically come together, avoid wars, take care of each other, improve the quality of our environment, end insidious things like nationalism, and we create a better human society. That's what I'm aiming for. Some men are obsessed with colonizing Mars. I want to fix planet Earth. Yeah. So you would believe in a one world alliance sort of program where it was a one world government? I prefer the word Earth Federation from Star Trek. Hmm. Well, what planet are you from? I feel like you might have an answer for that. I am proudly from planet Earth. I live in Australia, <laughs> but I consider myself a citizen of planet Earth first. Yeah. I love this planet. I want to see it do well and I want to see it survive. I don't want my kids growing up right. in a planet wrecked by climate change. Well, it's a very interesting proving ground for consciousness to expand because we come in forgetting everything and we have free will and choice. And so you really learn the lessons because you don't have all the answers and you don't have all the right. information, which is fascinating. It's a fascinating dimension, density to live in. I'm curious what you think is going on because you talk about how important community and that is so true. The blue zones are all about the people sitting at the table with you. So now we have this situation going on in the world where community has been ripped from us. We can't go see people. We can't hug people. That's the epidemic almost more than anything is this lack of connection and community. So I'm curious more from sort of another angle of what the hell is really going on. Right. Well, the good news is this. It's going to end really soon. Bill Gates is my former boss, by the way. I used to work at Microsoft. I'm that much of a geek. And I have great respect for the man. He said by October this year, things will pretty much be back to normal. Now, the other good news emerged today. Today, it was announced that one in 10 Americans have now received the vaccine. And 100 million Americans are going to be vaccinated in the next 100 days. Now, what happens when you get vaccinated is that you stop the viral momentum of the virus. So every time someone is vaccinated, it actually helps other people because your odds of carrying the virus plummet significantly. It was just announced, for example, that Americans who complete both rounds of vaccination, if they are now exposed to someone with COVID, they don't have to go in isolation anymore at least not for the first three months till we learn more about the vaccine. But because of the incredible pace in which Americans are being vaccinated, you're going to see a plummeting in COVID-19 cases. Life is going to go back to normal really, really, really fast. By October, everything is going to be fine, which is why I'm still doing an A-Fest in Jordan in October, and you're going to get an invite. Do I have to have a vaccination to go? Absolutely. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be allowed in the country. Those rules are going to emerge. The Middle East right now, especially Israel, they are leading the world in vaccinations. And Israel has already proven that with that amount of vaccinations, COVID cases in Israel among the elderly are plummeting like crazy. So Israel has turned into a really good case study. Why don't they just vaccinate the ones that are at risk, like older Cause I mean, I took one of those little blood test things one time and I know everyone's going to say you must've had it, but I had the antibody 
And so everybody was like seeing my test pop up and they're like, oh shit, you got lines filling in. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, yep, lines filling in. They're like, no, that's not good. And I'm like, oh. And then they looked it up and it was the antibody. And look, if I was sick, I was sick in February of 2020. I was sick. And they say that, you know, when I took the test, which would have been like eight, nine months later, that that wouldn't have been possible. And Mm -hmm. then I learned information about being able to produce your own antibodies through an elevated blood marker called IgA. No, I completely get that. But my view on vaccination is this. We may disagree. And again, I'm not saying that I'm only going to allow vaccinated people into APHES. I'm just saying likely the country of Jordan and the airline are going to enforce that, right? I believe vaccination is safe and I'm actually going to be one of the first to get vaccinated. And I'm going to be public about it because I believe more people need to. One of the problems with vaccination is that it is an emotional fear. For example, it's highly unlikely for an American to die from an act of terrorism. But most Americans fear terrorism much more than lots of other things. Likewise, people fear shocks because of jaws. They fear terrorism because of the media. They fear vaccination because of the anti-vaccine movement. Now, it doesn't mean that vaccines are always safe, right? But there is a fear that is partially due to emotion. And then there's legitimate fears, and you can measure that through data, probability, and science. Now, Because I live outside the United States, I recognize that there's no anti-vaccine movement here in Estonia. So everybody's just getting vaccinated. There's no fear. But at the same time, even if the anti-vaccine movement was correct and there's a side effect to vaccination, I looked at the data and I feel that I'm more happy to live with that side effect because they haven't found any major ones yet than with what is called COVID lung. And COVID lung is where even people like your age and my age We survive COVID, but our lungs are permanently wrecked because of how the disease ravages your lungs. I don't want COVID lung. And since I've seen no evidence for side effects from vaccination, I'm going down that path. Do you believe that as biological beings, like, let's face it, we're not a robot. We are tissue. We are human. We are flesh. Like in that way, we're biological. If we're natural in that way, that there would be unnatural solution, a natural fix as opposed to synthetic? Yeah, not always because viruses are also natural, right? With the way that human science has progressed to such a level, according to Stephen Kotler, this will be the last great pandemic because we can now engineer vaccines and soon we'll be able, the hard part is testing vaccines. The reason we didn't get a vaccine sooner is because of the sheer amount of rigorous testing that had to go through to make sure it was safe. This is why I trust the COVID vaccine is safe. But in the future, we'd be able to simulate these tests using artificial intelligence. As soon as the next pandemic hits, within months, we will have a vaccine simulating the human biology using AI. That is according to Kotler. Now, here's the other thing that's really interesting. Most Americans who fear vaccines don't realize that every single day, you're already killing yourself with the American diet. It's not the vaccines we should fear and rebel against. It's freaking Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Do you know you can identify American blood because American blood, actually, you can see high fructose corn syrup, particles of high fructose corn syrup under a microscope. The American diet is horrendous. And this is why Americans live two years less than their average European counterpart. That is the real fear that I think we need to be concerned about, not vaccines. I agree. You promote daily wellness. And I would too. Like, I would say that I am my own natural immunity every day. I wake up, I sit quietly and meditate. I 
educate myself through information. Like I love doing a podcast because honestly, it just gives me a reason to deep dive and learn more information. I was already doing it anyway. I take cold showers. I work out. I think positively. I don't perpetuate my mind with the news and things that are not affecting my life on a daily basis. Like I keep my mind clear. I stay positive. I stay in high frequency energies. And so I look at wellness and I look at it like I participate in it in every day in every way. And especially with food, I love taking care of myself that way to the point where people are like, well, you should loosen up. I'm like, yeah, well, I like to feel good. So thank you for all the work you're doing. It's really, really really amazing. And I'm excited about all the things you have going on and maybe someday a fest. Yes, but I so enjoyed this podcast interview. You are awesome and you ask the best questions and I love the way this flows. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So if you like this episode, go learn more about Danica. Her website is danicapatrick.com. And also, if you find these ideas interesting, join me and become a Valley member. Go to mindvalley.com, M-I-N-D-V-A-L-L-E-Y. And if at this point you can't spell that, I don't know what to say, mindvalley.com. And click on membership and you'll see what's happening with Valley membership, how this thing is just growing and growing and growing. And all the stuff I spoke about from the human matching engine to the AI that we're building, all of this is being baked into our membership. The pace of innovation has been super exciting and our membership is just growing like crazy. This is, I believe, the future of education. I'll see you there, mindvalley.com. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.